Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to episode 91 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and I am flying solo at the moment, but that is uh, just a brief period of time because we have people coming over. And why do we have people coming over? So we can watch The Host, which is our Daikaiju discussion movie for this month, which, by the way, is August of 2013, in case uh, anybody cares. And just as we normally do here on the Kaiju Cast, we're going to start off the show with a request. This is Kozasa's Prayer from Daimajin.
All right, and that was our musical block, I guess you could call it. We started things off with Kozasa's Prayer from Daimajin, of course, by Akira Fukube, and that was for Jace. The next song we played was called Hopeful Last Note 2, and that's from Ultra 7, which is um, a song I actually, when I saw the episode that it was featured in, I was like, dude, that is a really cool, like, jazzy kind of feeling song. Thank you to Danny for requesting that one. That one was by Toru Fuyuki and The Echoes. Uh, then I played Nameless by King Ghidra, which is a band that I saw a little while ago here in Portland, like a surf space rock kind of band. That is all of the music we're playing up at the top of the show, and we're going to go ahead and move on because, once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast will feature one particular film from the giant monster landscape and task the listeners with the submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following episode. Thanks to an online tool, I've randomly assigned one movie to each month, solidifying that this show will keep going for a long, long time. And you know, I used to say that, and it used to mean something, but now we're in 2013, and in 2016 is when that list is going to end. So we'll figure something out. We'll come up with an exact uh, thing of what's going to happen there when the Daikaiju discussions are up. But let's get to it. This month, we take a closer look at the film from Japan's neighbor to the north, Korea. Uh, this host was directed by Jun Ho Bong and actually had a limited theatrical run here in America. There's really nothing to prep you for, so please join us for the host right now. Joining us in the studio, joining me in the studio, we have uh, Jeff Dean. Hello. And Brian Cook. Hey. Rachel Cook. Hi there. And Cindy Okimoto. Hey. And we just finished watching uh, The Host, not the new movie by the Stephanie lady who Meyer. wrote the Twilight, Twilight movies, uh, but the the movie from Korea, the, the monster movie from Korea. So first off, before we get started, before we even go through the who's seen it, who hasn't, do you guys have any questions as to why this is on the Daikaiju discussion list? No. Okay. Right on. You guys all think it counts? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, right on. Who has not seen this before? Cindy, you're the only one who's not seen Great. this. Great, everyone is now staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> everyone stop staring at Cindy right now. I guess I'm going to start with you. So initial thoughts, like we just finished watching it. What what do you think? I liked it. Okay. Um, I thought the monster design was very creative. The monster looked awesome. But what got me the most was that you actually felt for the characters. So professional, TIE Fighter. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you did. Well, this, this, the movie was a lot more about the family than it yes. was about the monster. Mm -hmm. Would you say this is more like a sort of Monsters on the Loose style, Monster on the Loose style movie, like, you know, something from the 50s or 60s from American monster movies? Or not, not obviously not necessarily the effects and so forth and the storytelling yeah. was all over the board obviously but i really do feel that this is a monsters on the loose movie and the reason i asked if you guys thought it it classified as a kaiju film or why it would be on this list is because there was actually quite a bit of speculation from the listeners as to why this movie is on the on the list and uh i guess i would say that it's on the list because um well first off korea's just above uh, Japan, like literally just north of Japan, north uh, west, I believe. And they're uh, the two cultures, while they are completely separate, borrow so much from each other 
So much so that Korea made Yungari, which actually is a giant monster movie with a man in a suit kind of technology. And then uh, they also made Pulgasari, which has Kenpachiro Setsuma playing the uh, the monster. And there's a whole litany of things that we need to talk about later with that movie whenever we cover that on the Daikaiju discussions. But uh, I figured that since Korea had already made two man-in-suit monster movies, why not include the host? Uh, and that's sort of, that's why it's in there, and that's why we watched it. And I'm glad we watched it because you had never seen it before, and glad you liked it. Yes, I enjoyed it Weird very movie, much. though. Like, this bizarre tale. <laughs> yeah, I, the intro where they're pouring the chemicals down the drain, you're thinking, okay, jump forward in time. Uh, there's something, the fishermen find something that they think, oh, look, it's looks like it's mutated. And jump forward in time again, suddenly giant monster. Yes, yes. Well, that was years between the two, but yes. yeah, for sure. And uh, Rachel, you had seen this. You guys, you and Brian both own it. Yes, mm-hmm. that is right. And so uh, initial thoughts, how many times have you seen it? Let's Let's go with that. I think I've seen it, I want to say this is probably my fourth time. Oh, so while wow. I own it, I have not watched it nearly as often as I should have. Yeah. Because I really do love this movie. Anytime it's brought up, I always rant and rave about it and how great it is. Um, but I guess my initial thoughts are just it's still it's a lot of fun. It's just a really enjoyable movie. I think that it goes by really fast. It's not a slow-paced movie because there's always something bizarre happening. Especially because the family's so weird. <laughs> it's a weird family. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like them, though. I think I'd oh, love yeah. to be the part of that family. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> Brian, have you are you seen it? I'm assuming yeah. just about as many times. I think I've seen it maybe uh, probably three times. I've seen it maybe less than her a little bit. But um, I went through all the special features one day and watched the commentary and did all that stuff. And um, yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of it. And uh, uh, yeah, the the thing that strikes me about it is kind of, uh, you were saying it's not slow, but I would say it is kind of slow, but in a good way. Um, and the, another thing that really strikes me about this movie, uh, that I found unusual and you don't see very often is it's just so quiet. Like so much of it's done with sound effects, like the tromping mm-hmm. of the monster. The sound mix is great. Like, all the different sounds of the monster moving around. It really creates a nice atmosphere, and it's it's really really kind of quiet. It's not loud and overbearing in your face. It's it's really perfect. It really sets a lot of tension. I so. love the scene where uh, I'm terrible with the names. The Korean names are even more foreign yeah. to me than Japanese names. But the daughter, mm-hmm. uh, I love the scene where she comes out of the uh, the food truck. And essentially, mm-hmm. there's almost like no sound at all. You just see like the spraying of the uh, of the beer can, and hear the tss, and then you sort of slowly hear like very low volume screams coming, you know, coming mm-hmm. around the and then the the bassy footsteps. It's really quite cool, like very almost haunting in a sense. Yeah. El Jefe. What about you, man? You've seen this before. You said you saw it at Cinema Twenty One when it came out. Yeah, it was. I think it was Cinema Twenty One, one of the independent cinemas yeah. here in town. Um, and uh, this is my third time uh, viewing it, and I really like it. I mean, I think it's a fantastic film. I agree. I mean, I I think it's fantastic, and I think it's it's definitely absolutely worth watching. Uh, 
And but this is my this is only my second time watching it. I think I bought the DVD just because I was like, that was a good movie. I want to see it again sometime. And then it just sat on the shelf for many, many years. But it's a uh, hard to put my finger on exactly what it is that bothers me about the movie. But there's so much about it that's really awesome, uh, specifically in terms of like the way that the story progresses and the the plight of the family itself. Like I really do find myself uh, not identifying, but uh, you know, feeling for the family. In the end, spoiler alert, of course, for anyone who hasn't seen this movie, don't listen to the podcast before you watch <laughs> it. Uh, but uh, like when the daughter is not alive at the end of the movie, it's just like it's there's a weird balance of like heartbreaking and happiness that the that the other kids survived. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's but it's it's cool. It, and I don't know. That's. I like Korean films, but uh, I haven't seen that many. And in fact, now that I think about it, the only movies that I've seen have been weird Korean films. Like uh, this one, The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. Anybody here seen that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's actually got the main character from this, Blondie, was in that movie too. And um, have you seen Tale of Two Sisters? I have not. Yeah. That's a horror movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't there's seen a that. Lot but there's, gr- a, there's an American film based on that, right? Yeah, there is. But okay. Don't watch that. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I've seen yeah, that. There's actually. a lot of great films, or the lo- especially genre films, that have come out of South Korea over the last 10 years. And this is one of them. I yeah. The host. Uh, there's another movie I've seen, which is really great. It's a it's a weird romance movie called... Uh, uh, called Three Iron. So if you if you like that kind of stuff, those those are some movies that I would suggest. Specifically, the good, ba- the bad, and the weird is almost like a uh, kung fu western sort of movie. Yeah. It's really yeah. really good. It was on Netflix at one point. I saw yeah. it. I think it was the that, first HD I movie I saw yeah. on Netflix. Good stuff. Anyway, I love the host. I think it's a great movie. But uh, let's hear what you guys liked about it. Like uh, Cindy, what was what was your favorite part of the movie? My favorite part was actually the family. Right on. Yeah, it's good good mix. The dad, the old yeah, <laughs> old the, dad. The old dad and he was, you know, the the most I don't know if you want to call it say normal of the group. Yeah, he still was <laughs> <laughs> It was almost like watching the Adams family. Just like such a everyone has their everyone own had quirks. A quirk. And like I love the scene where he's trying to explain to his children why they shouldn't pick on their brother. And, and like they're, they're just asleep. asleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's asleep. like that's like a fan, that's like a great uh, suggestion or example of why this movie I think is great because it's like, I mean, it's touching and humorous at the same time because you know the the father is very you know he's upset he's distraught he's really trying to get it out but then you see the kids just nodding off and it's <laughs> yeah. just like mm-hmm. yeah it's just a this and, movie, and there's a lot of great scenes like that in this yeah. film there's that, a lot of comedy in it too yeah i mean yeah. The, the thing that i think really works is the family feels very real they feel like real people you know not yeah. like movie yeah. people it feels they're like people all, you would they're know. all they're all flawed like, yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean and that's what i think you know you really feel invested in, in in the characters yeah and they do a great job of uh of playing within their own group too so i mean they they really feel like a family they don't just feel like people playing roles like i'm the sister i'm the brother you know uh they've got that whole like uh they've grown up together some of them like the other ones that are, are maybe grown up a little closer than uh than the brother <laughs> uh it's just really a great dynamic excellent point how about you rachel uh i'd say my favorite scene is the epic death scene of the beast 
That, with, I thought that fire. was awesome. <laughs> yeah, when they're throwing the Molotovs at him. Yeah. And then the one guy, the other homeless dude, pours the gas on him. And then, you know. And then it thinks the, it's <laughs> raining, so it opens up its yeah. mouth for yeah. that thing. That is amazing. That's a really <laughs> That's cool great. scene. Yeah. yeah. And then it was, again, one of those hilarious scenes, yet you're like, oh, no. When the drunk brother drops the Molotov, the last yeah. one, to yeah. throw it on him. And you're like. Oh, geez. There's a bunch of those you know, kind of like moments in yeah. the film where you're like, here it comes. Don't, then, oh. <laughs> don't get that. <laughs> he Homer Simpson did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. They, and then it was, I thought it was great when, is it Namju? I think her name is, uh, that pulls the, you know, with the bow and arrow and grabs mm-hmm. a little piece of flame in what looks like a marshmallow to me, but I know it's not it a did. marshmallow. It did. <laughs> I, think I think it'd be I think great it was like a piece of flaming cloth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. pretty sure they put flaming marshmallows inside of small <laughs> drop cocktails. Yeah. Back when I used to be a revolutionary. Uh, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the that was a really cool scene. I thought the, it was a lot yeah. of fun. I thought it was a great way to kill the monster. Good stuff. Although I was a little, I was a little uh, surprised that the eye didn't explode when she... When she hit it with the arrow. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, obviously, the, um, uh, was it Gongdu? I think his name is. That's the, the main character's the name. Yeah. I'm actually yeah. on the IMDb right now so there that I don't screw that up names, anymore. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. It's really, <laughs> it's really quite difficult for me to even say these. I'm just completely not, not, uh, familiar with these. Uh, Gongdu was the, the main character. And let's see here. Hyun Seo was the the daughter. Yeah. And uh Namju is the sister and now it's a tie between <laughs> Haibong which is weird because that's the actual actor's name too. Uh and Nam Il, I think Nam, Nam Il, Il is, is probably the, the drunk s- brother. The so- yeah, okay, the yeah. other son, yeah. Anyway, those are your main characters. Ta-da. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what about you, Brian? What do you really love about the movie? Um, <clears throat> one thing, uh, the, the, I think the most impressive thing is the effects. It's all digital effects, but they, uh, slowed everything down to the way it should look in a movie that would have somebody in a suit. Um, and I think all the effects work like really, really, really well, like amazingly well, especially for digital and it's proof that you don't have to, like, if you can go digital, you don't have to make them, like, you don't have to make your things move super fast. Like, that was one of our complaints about Pacific Rim, is the monsters were moving a little too fast. It would have been a little nicer to slow them down just a, a hair. And uh the host, like, proves that, you know, slow-moving CGI effects can look really good. And uh on the DVD, they show, kind of, they take it to Weta. They mm-hmm. take the, the effects people take the actual monster to Weta to work on it. And that's really interesting. And then on, uh, one of the special features shows that originally the monster was supposed to have garbage, like in its scales, like making basically like a shell of garbage from oh, really? being in the river. Cool. It's a really neat idea, but yeah. Right on. Well, I know that the Weta did the creature, uh, modeling. I mm-hmm. think, but then they took it to another company in San Francisco yeah. called the Orphanage, the Orphanage yeah. that did the did all the effects. I thought they did a great job. I do think it looks a little dated now, just in some scenes. But I remember when I saw it in the theater, I thought it looked amazing, and I I definitely thought like, whoa, this is an awesome like CGI monster movie when I when I saw it. 
Good stuff. I think it still works. I mean, even now, I didn't like it. Didn't you know bother me? Oh yeah, I don't mean that it was like yeah. terrible. I just mean yeah. that it just looks a little dated. Like some of the, I don't know all the terminology for CGI stuff, uh, but some of the textures and some of the the scenes, you know, look a little when, CGI-ish. But, but yeah. it's not a bad thing. I don't. I, I'm not complaining about it. Yeah, the one point stupid you, movie you brought up. <laughs> I think like when. Um, you know, she shoots the fire, and the fire on him, you can kind of tell, looks a little bit... Yeah. Like... I don't know, made, Jeff. Made when was the last time you set a giant monster on fire? <laughs> so 2006. Or a large monster on fire. Yeah. No, it's good. Uh, it's a good good film. I love I love the effects in the, in the movie. What about you, Jeff? What's uh, what's one of your favorite parts? Um, I don't know what voice that was. I don't know why I did that. You know... Um, <laughs> tired. Every time I see this, I'm always blown away by the ramp, the opening rampage basically on the mm-hmm. bank of the Han River, which I think is just fantastic for showing your monster within the first 15 minutes of your movie in broad daylight, mm-hmm. which is oh, pretty yeah. brave. Yeah. And it's just a, a, you know, fantastic scene when that guy turns around and looks and he's, and the monster just, you know, rampaging towards him. And that whole sequence that goes on for, it's it quite a like, while. Yeah. It's yeah, good. And it's just like, you know, very, I think they did well a good done. job of like showing it and then hiding it and then showing it and then hiding it. And yeah, then it's like yeah. bringing him in and then making him so you can only see like a, you know, a flipper foot or something like that. And then, then you see him come back out. It's a lot interesting of too it, yeah. how um, there's a lot of anti-Americanism uh, in there, especially at, you know, that whole opening scene where you have, you know, the guys and the American who plays, uh, uh, he's on the walk. Yeah, yeah, he's on the Walking yeah, Dead. Herschel. Herschel. Thank yeah, you. He's a yeah, character actor has been in a lot of things. But how he's like, you know, he's apparently, you know, the boss there and telling yep. him to. That's an order. Dump it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then <laughs> dump it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there's <clears throat> there's a really weird mixture of I don't know if I'd say disdain or just say like just like the American elements in this film insert a very strange big picture kind of kind of uh feel for maybe what america means to korea i don't know exactly well, but it's like, a weird political because film, you know too. it's south korea yes so um because we're not korean we don't live there i think a little bit maybe of some of the message is lost on us a little bit mm-hmm. but I, I think it what we do get is it's it's negative <laughs> yeah know? for sure yeah. there's a yeah, I re- I read earlier today that the uh, North Americans actually, because of the anti-Americanism, North or North not North Americans, North Koreans loved the film because, and really advertised the film really? a lot because of the anti-Americanism. That's the only reason they really showed it. Yeah, what did we do? We so we made them toss the formaldehyde and whatever else chemicals down the down the drain into the Han River just because they were dusty. Mm-hmm. And then uh uh the I found the the conspiracy theory elements of, you know, like this is what the Americans are saying and then because the Americans are saying this is the Korean government, South Korean government is agreeing with it. And that's just the way it is. There was actually a line in the movie that was uh the specifically, I think it was right after one of the news news organizations, and um, uh, the guy says the government says it's so, 
the government says it, so we have to accept it. What else can we do? Yeah. Which is weird because later on, of course, there's there's a bunch of protesters, and that's they didn't do a very yeah. good job. <laughs> anyway, that, there's that's a whole the, bunch of things that that really point to that anti not anti American sentiment, but just like it's a weird weird sentiment you get from mm-hmm. it, for sure. The, I think it's something. I mean, you could read into it that South Korea does what America is telling it to do, whether if it's right or wrong. Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of what you're getting. That's the message, I, at least I'm getting from it. Yeah, man. Screw the man. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, what were you going to say, Brian? Uh, the the Agent uh, Yellow. Agent Yellow, yeah. That I mean, that was obviously a reference to Agent Orange and the protests around that. There wasn't It wasn't really built up in the film, so obviously it's just kind of a... An easy metaphor, but yeah, it's that's one of the the things that stand out to me in terms of like the anti-American uh, message, which I totally don't mind. I mean, how many movies have Americans produced that slight <laughs> someone in some way? Like, yeah. I, I don't mind it. So it's it's definitely interesting to see a different perspective like that. So yeah, that's definitely a different uh, perspective for for the host. Than uh, than most movies we are used to watching here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you guys not like about the film? Anything that just like struck you as odd or just bugged you? You know, I can't say anything that I can really point out. I mean, sure, I could say, oh, I would have liked to see the monster more, but not really because I you got to see it quite a bit. I know yeah. you, you do get to see it quite a bit, and I think the thing I really do like about this movie—it's so original and unique. We don't get anything like that here, mm-hmm. you know, in the States or especially where you, you know, the the child dies for God's sake. Right, yeah. You know? um, but yeah, there's really very little I think I can complain about this film. I think some of the things that kind of were lost on me maybe a little bit, and it really struck me the first time I saw this is when you have the grieving scene at the beginning, which in a way comes across as comedic. A little bit, you know, but I'm like, is it supposed to be? But this time I kind of see like, it's not really supposed to be that comedic. I just that the first time I saw it, I was really kind of like, this is kind of odd. Yeah, that's but sort of what I'm a, talking about. I, I think don't it's know like if a that's cultural a cul- thing. I don't know if that's a cultural thing though. I mean, I there are definitely cultural issues within this movie and other movies we watch. Like a lot of yeah. there's a lot of stuff in Japanese culture that I I'm sure is just little tiny throwaway things that if I if I choose to ignore them, they'll never, ever affect a movie at all. At all. Yeah. But uh, I, I think you're definitely going to get that kind of stuff in a Korean film. And because we haven't watched a lot of Korean films, maybe you're right. Like, we, we just don't get why that's a thing. But yeah, like, specifically the, the, the grieving scene, I think there's definitely an element of comedy that got put into that, especially yeah. when... They all fall backwards. They all fall backwards yeah, on the yeah. ground, and then all of a sudden the... the reporters there but that i think that's probably like drama mixed with comedy mixed with uh like social satire kind of thing yeah i think it comes across as a little bit humorous or just odd because we don't have those kind of like you know public grieving you know especially in in america it's more like hush hush you don't do that in public but you know I, i understand in asian culture especially korean culture it's a little different I read earlier that uh, the director actually does a lot of dark humor in his films. Uh And so some people were theorizing that a lot of scenes like that, particularly they brought up the grieving scene, were um, just the director going after some dark humor. Yeah. 
And so it could have just been intentionally, you know, supposed to be funny, but obviously in a very the dark yeah. sense. But Interesting. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, definitely dark as far as the humor goes in this film. And I would love to uh, see if the same sort of feel from the 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 characters and the and the story is carried on definitely not the characters themselves but carried on in the host too whenever that gets released oh actually you know what i forgot to say something that i really loved about it um my favorite scene in the entire movie uh was when the the monster peers over the edge of its pit and starts just like coughing up all this like <laughs> This ocean of bones, just like straight out of its mouth. The undigestible, the undigestible bones. Yeah, I totally said, I wish I was there to take those bones away. (laughs) (laughs) Bones. Anyway, the first time we saw that scene, I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But uh, as far as things that like struck, like it's not something that I didn't like about the film, and it's something that, but it's something that bothered me in terms of like my inner inner voice is just like no 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 that's that's not right don't do that don't do that and that's basically anytime the americans are involved like dumping the formaldehyde giving the dude a lobotomy i totally yeah. was like no yeah. no 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 no, don't yeah. do that and what's with that guy's eye <laughs> it's just yeah. like that must have been a humorous... i think it was broken <laughs> yeah i think that's like a way of you know i wonder if that americans. guy still i wonder if that guy's eye is naturally like that because it must hurt to have to do that just and, with one eye. The lobotomy actually help him. He became yeah. That's a, what I. That's sort of what I got out of it. He became a a doer. He, he became yeah. a hero after he got the lobotomy. Somewhat of a hero. Did you guys think it was weird that the agent yellow device kind of looked like the host monster when it was hanging from yeah. the, underneath yeah. the bridge? Oh. I didn't realize that, but that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just, just an observation. <laughs> Uh, anybody else have anything they, they didn't like about the film or want to? I didn't like the needles going into the skin. I'm not a fan needles. of needles either. Yeah. I'm sitting there wincing. I had to yeah. close my eyes a few times, particularly in the neck. Then. That was a rough oh. one. Tissue samples. Yeah. So weird. Let's move on to final thoughts. Cindy, what do you, what do you think, man? Ma'am, what do you think about this? <laughs> the ending of this film and like, you know, would you recommend it to other people? Is this something you'd watch again? I would definitely watch it again. Um, I liked, I kind of have mixed feelings about the ending. Okay. You're really pulling for the daughter. You really want her to survive. She's gone through so much and she's, you know, helping the, the little boy. And at the end when you realize that she didn't make it and then her dad goes over to the boy, you're, you're, you're holding your breath. You're like, okay. He's got to have survived mm-hmm. because otherwise everything she did was, you know, was kind of for nothing. So she, it's like, okay, she was doing everything for herself, but then also for this other kid. Yeah. Well, that's not, you kind of get that anyway. I mean, even though the kid survives and it's a nice little moment they have at the end of the movie where they're in the food truck together and in the middle the, of a blizzard, <laughs> in the middle, only food truck hanging out on the riverbanks, you know, yeah. but, uh, it's, Aside from that, you d- there's a very long sequence where it's just all for naught kind of feeling ab- about the film, and that's it's disturbing. But I still enjoyed watching it in, in some level. Yeah, I'd I'd recommend it. I'd definitely watch it again. Rachel, I would say um, 
I have the same mixed feelings at the end, um, but it, I, it does leave me with a positive feeling at the end, seeing the little boy getting to eat all the food truck food. Shoving <laughs> a giant spoonful yes. of rice into his I mouth, yeah. Uh, but uh, overall, I, I do, I like the, the mix of humor in the film. I like the variety of the human interaction with a lot of the beast, which is great. I always love when they show a lot of it, so I... I love this film and always recommend it to people that are even non-kaiju fans good recommendation how about you brian i think that uh this is actually probably the best of the more modern monster movies when including like cloverfield and pacific rim and if you throw in something like troll hunter troll hunters i guess and uh and monsters all the kind of like monster movies that have happened in the last 10 or more years like this is the best example I can think of. This is one of the most complete original type movies of this genre. And yeah, there's, there's really nothing that's there. There's nothing really bad about it. So it's, yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a definitely original film. There is no other movie. Like, even though I was saying this is kind of like a monster on the, on the loose movie from, you know, what we got in the fifties and sixties, not saying that it's a, you know, carbon copy by any means because it's so different than what we've seen before. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. How about you, Jeff? Yeah, I, mean, I agree with Brian with like everything he said. It's it's like completely unique. I would recommend it to anybody who's just a general film fan. Right. So I think even if you don't like monster movies, I think you would enjoy this film because it's you know very character driven. I mean, it's just very very well made. You know, the for me as far as uh. Would I show it to somebody? Yes, I'd absolutely show the film to somebody. I don't think um, I would show this to someone as as an example of a kaiju film necessarily. It's a good monster movie for sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's not, you know, this is not why I wouldn't bring somebody over here and just be like, oh, you've never seen a Godzilla movie? We've got to watch The Host, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's it sits in the monster movie realm, but it definitely sits sort of outside of, of the man in suit kind of thing that I love to bring, you know, into people's lives. Uh, I do think that if you have not seen the host and you're listening to this podcast, you've done yourself a huge disservice, but uh, I think people should see it. I mean, it's a good film. It's, it's probably one of the more interesting, like Brian was saying, modern films that, that we've even seen happen that, that, you know, involve giant monsters. Uh, I don't think I would rank it as high as Brian would, but it's still it's still up there, and it's definitely worth watching. I think it's one of the best monster movies of the last twenty the, years. Okay, right on. In my opinion, so so I don't know. All what right, your problem so, is yeah. <laughs> so you you said last twenty years is two thousand thirteen, so that means since nineteen ninety three. Yeah. Okay. I would I would say so. All right. So this, uh, I mean, it, it, does, it, it, it's like a family rank... drama that just happens to have a monster in it. Are you are you ranking this higher than God's any Godzilla movie that's come out in or Gamera movie that's come out in like since the since ninety three? I would say it's up there. I'd say it's up there with Godzilla two thousand one. GMK, you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I mean. I'm sorry. It's late. It's been too long yeah, since it's you've late. been over here. Yeah, yeah. It's not that I've late. Had two, I've had two pints. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, with uh. GMK. I mean, it's a yeah. completely different kind of movie. Yeah, it's okay. definitely different. It's it's but, completely separate I, from from those films for me. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's completely separate. I think it's. So next I mean, time we do excellent. our top ten, are you going to put this in the top ten? Well, the last time we did top ten, we just we were just doing. Did we do 
Godzilla. We did all. Last time we did top 10, this is, <laughs> it doesn't matter to the people listening to the podcast. Last time we did po- top 10, it was on our way back from Emerald City to yeah. keep ourselves awake. We did top, <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. And now I'd have to reassess that. Yeah, well. Because I didn't actually even think of this movie when we were doing that top 10. It's an organic list, man. It just, <laughs> it flows. <laughs> I'm going to get, right when I get home, I'm going to redo that top 10. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll look for that. We could post it on the KaijuCast Facebook page. Uh, anyway, I guess to finish off my final thoughts, I, I do like the film. I, I really enjoy it. And I know that when I saw it in the theater, it was something that I walked out very satisfied seeing. And that's, uh, definitely holds true for the second time I viewed it tonight. And I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out the special features on that second disc that I didn't know I had. Sweet. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you guys for coming out. We did get some user submissions and this is how those went. And a big thanks to everyone who submitted their homework this month. Uh, really pretty good numbers for such a uh, an out there movie. We're going to go ahead and start off with Tom, who doesn't really consider the host a kaiju film. It's more of a giant monster genre entry. The monster wasn't large enough to crush a three-story building by accident. The film was excellent and scary. For Tom, it was really well made. The most recent high-quality monster horror film would be Jaws. Uh, he honestly doesn't think anything in the genre has been as scary and well-crafted that has come out since Jaws. The family K-drama at the center of the film was really well done, but if you've seen enough K-drama, it's a little cliche. Tom liked the Confucian values of uh, family ties and responsibility at the center. He also liked that the subplot and the main plot did not feel separate. They were effectively one plot. The monster wasn't just off doing something while another movie ran parallel to keep the audience occupied in the meantime, by offering action or comic relief. The not-so-great is the portrayal of Americans, who apparently are the source of all evil in Korea, as far as this film goes. Granted, they were evil doctors and political weasels who are apparently all Americans in Korea. Uh, I actually got the sense that it was more than just the Americans, but definitely the Americans were a pretty, pretty big focus. Anyway, back to Tom's review. Uh, how's that sunshine policy working out for you guys? To be fair, there was one heroic American who apparently wasn't capable of doing anything meaningful except getting crushed and forming the nucleus of a conspiracy against the whole South Korean nation. So, there are career options. Still, it's a good film, and he found it charming and pretty funny. The family was very endearing, and he liked how they overcame their sense of loserdom to unite against the threat to their most treasured future. The film worked, and Tom spent most of the film cheering for the heroes and laughing at the jokes, which were honestly funny. The end was uh, unexpected and tragic, but as sad as it was, it felt right and had a redeeming quality. Tom won't rank this film, except to say that it is one of the best horror films he has seen. It's in his top 30 of all time. Sounds to me like you're ranking it, Tom. Uh, He doesn't really believe it's a kaiju film, so apples and oranges there. If there is a very large animals eat you genre, it goes in that bucket. Still, it's a close cousin close cousin to kaiju films and thinks it's appropriate for the discussion list, if only to offset the other Korean entries in the genre. Charlie of the Spooky Pinball podcast was a little nervous about letting his son Bug watch the host without previewing, because it's rated R. Uh, but it wasn't too far out there. The first part of the movie reminded Bug of a small Godzilla in a way. The chemicals poured in the river were like the nuclear exposure, and then right after the monster attacks, you see everyone in the hospital. He thought that the monster looked pretty cool, and he kept wondering if he actually ate people or not, because of the way he'd spit them out in his sewer lair. He thought that the 
He thought with a rated R, with the R rating, it would be gorier than it was, but if it weren't for the uncle's language, it probably would have been PG-13. After the monster's first bout of rampaging, it turns more into a human drama and focuses on the story of the family involved, which worked for Charlie because he really did care about the characters. You also get the feeling that the production team doesn't trust the United States completely in the sense that the military involvement is shown as a bit forceful and basically treated the Koreans as children who don't know how to handle the monster. On a scale of 1 to 10, Bug would give the host a 7. Clearly, this is a movie for older fans, but he thought that the monster would be less like a fish and more scary. He wouldn't show this to his friends, but would recommend it for fans that like more drama in their monster movies. Charlie gives it a 6.5. The film was shot and edited beautifully, like no other kaiju movie, He uh, and he really likes the story in general, but thought the political virus-slash-military-slash-protest just got a little heavy-handed. The monster and effects were pretty good, but the ending was a little depressing. Bold move by the director, and kudos to him, but Charlie's a sucker for a happy ending. He would recommend this film more to straight-up horror movie fans than a traditional kaiju fan, He still prefers his kaiju flicks to be a little more tongue-in-cheek and fun. The host has everything Jace loves in a film. Dark comedy, social and political commentary, and a monster. Is this a kaiju movie? He thinks it shares a lot of kaiju movie tropes, but is also very similar to American-style big animal monster on the loose films. That said, it should at least be considered a sibling of of kaiju movies. I like the sibling-cousin relationship it's got here. What works in this film is the dark comedy. The absurd American characters seem to be the real monsters as they are responsible for creating the creature and for all the horribly misguided attempts at containing it. It's difficult to tell if the Americans are acting with sinister motivations or sheer ineptitude, but either way, it's a perfect and succinct portrayal of the consequences of American interventions in Asia from Japan to Vietnam to the Korean Peninsula. Misguided at best, monstrous at worst, Indeed, it appears that the real host, at least in a medical sense, is South Korea, with the U.S. playing the role of the infecting creature. Finally, the creature, the true host, at least of the film, in a twisted way, it hosts the Korean children in its home, a lair in the sewers. The design is fantastic, particularly when in the water. It really has a horrifying look to it. Once we actually see the monster's face, however, it becomes goofy again. Jace thinks that this is intentional and plays back into the dark comedy aspects of the film. What it says is that the monstrous is always a little bit absurd, a little bit ridiculous, but dangerous nonetheless. This is one of Jace's absolute favorite monster movies, and he's looking forward to the day when South Korea cinema produces a really substantial daikaiju film. Noah really enjoyed this movie. He also really likes the part where the nurse spotted the blonde guy and kept saying, Get the blonde! He's escaping! Uh, He was... Obviously, the only blonde one out of everybody else. This may not be a kaiju film, but hey, it's an Asian monster, so why not? He loved this movie a lot, even though he saw the American dub. This was actually the film that got Noah's friend into Asian monsters. Uh, So Noah then goes on to embarrass his friend Matt in this, but since I have to go through these one by one, Matt is in luck, because I couldn't really figure out a way to reword what Noah was saying and still make it work, so... Consider this embarrassment, Matt. Anyway, back to the review. Noah finds this movie hilarious and very enjoyable. His dad even liked it, and he usually hates these kinds of movies. But he thought both The Host and Pacific Rim were awesome. Noah gives this film 4.5 radioactive symbols out of 5. He took half a point off because the English dub really got on his nerves. 
Matt and his dog Ashley wrote in and think that while some of the issues touched on in the film, such as the American military presence in the country or government bureaucracy or the protests and unease of the younger generation, certainly resonated more with the South Korean audience, ultimately the host's global appeal is easy to understand. The Park family, for all their foibles, present a unified, unyielding face to the monsters uh, getting in their way, human or otherwise. The scene in which the father and his three children sit down to eat and then are joined by the, uh, in spirit by Hyun Sao brings to perfect focus the spirit of the movie. The Host is a different kind of monster movie than the usual kaiju fare. It's one thing to watch Ghidra flying over a city, indiscriminately blasting buildings to bits. Instead, we get to see a very personal journey of a family fighting for one of their own against a smaller but deadly creature. The movie does start out very sharply focused, but wobbles a bit and becomes less structured as it moves along. The monster is interesting enough to look at, and Matt loves the way it gets around, swinging head to tail. He doesn't usually feel such anger and hatred towards a monster in a kaiju film, but Matt really dislikes the actual creature, and was very happy to see the Park family deliver the killing blows themselves. The title of this film has always interested Mike Keller. Its original title in Korean is Gwaimyo, which translates as simply monster. The distributors, or whoever, decided that the host made a more marketable international title, choosing to focus on the story aspect of the creature allegedly being the host of a new virus. Mike likes to think that this title has a double meaning, though. The monster acts as a host to Hyun Sao and the homeless boy, and has also heard that the host could be the Han River or the American military. Metaphors are abound. Mike was lucky in that before re-watching the film for the Daikaiju discussion, he had just finished reading Animal Farm, so he was prepared for some metaphor. It seems obvious that the monster represents something simply from the fact that its nature is never really explored. No one ever stops to ask what the monster is, where did it come from, etc. It's simply an event that people deal with without questioning. He's read that it's a mutant catfish or a big mouth bass also, formaldehyde as a mutant-making potion? Really? That's a new one. He's not up enough on sociology or world history to delve into socio-political ramifications of the host, but he has read that the monster is supposed to be a stand-in for Western imperialism. A few more words about the monster. It manages to do something rare in cinema. Much like Gauss in the 1995 Gamera reboot, it's really a cool creature that you'd like to have toys and models of, but it's also something that the audience actively dislikes. It does such nasty things that you just want to punch it. The real center of the film is the family and how they come together, or don't, in order to overcome the situation. This is definitely a character-driven piece and one of the best-directed genre efforts to come out in recent years. Mike's heard complaints of anti-American sentiment, but what can you do? There's a lot of weird, quirky things that make the film special, the slip and fall of the guy in the hazmat suit, the crossed eyes of the American doctor, the stoic homeless guy who ends up being a big help, but not without dispensing some moral judgment on one of our heroes. Things like that push the host up and over its contemporaries. He's not entirely clear of the advantage or purpose of the ruse regarding the non-existent virus, unless it was just an excuse for the military to release Agent Yellow and go digging in people's heads. He's also not sure what the advantage was of performing the latter either. Mike has spoken with at least one person who didn't understand that Hyun Sao was dead at the end of the film. 
The fact that this person thought she had lived made him like the film less because he found the father's behavior in the final scene to indicate that he'd gone back to just ignoring and neglecting her. This is Adam's second time seeing The Host as he managed to see it when it was making the theatrical rounds. The Host is one of the best monster movies of modern times. It's funny, scary, emotional, and intense. The creature is a very well-designed, realistic interpretation of what an actual creature might look like mutated. Uh, the family drama with them coming together to find and rescue the daughter was some of the best he's seen in any monster movie. His two favorite scenes are when the monster comes ashore for the first time. All the people have a car crash mentality, which quickly turns into blind panic when it comes ashore and starts attacking people. And the scenes where the family is eating together and the spirit of the daughter shows up and the family starts feeding her, it's a very emotional scene for him. Adam's only gripes with the movie are the virus subplot that really doesn't go anywhere and leads into the other problem, its huge, heavy-handed political message. The host... Not to be confused with Stephanie Meyer's movie in this, by the same name, is definitely one of the greatest movies ever. I just have to take a sidebar and, and let you guys know that when we went to go see a movie, I'm not sure what it was, but we went to go see a film in the theater, so we were watching trailers beforehand, and I saw a trailer for the Stephanie Meyer's uh, movie, The Host, and I in just immediately got kind of pissed off about it. I was like... That's not cool, dude, because now no one is going to be able to find the host because it's going to be this Twilight huge movie thing. But I guess it's not really doing that well. So huzzah for America and Korea, I guess. Anyway, back to it. Brian never quite understood why this film qualifies as a kaiju film, but he's not the one who's been running a Godzilla podcast for numerous years, so he'll accept it. However, he will say that he would have never expected a movie based on a Stephanie Myers book to be the uh, on the Daikaiju discussions. All the stuff about alien invasions mixed with a love story really just led to some unintentionally funny moments, and Brian could only imagine how much more exciting it would have been with riff tracks playing along. All right, enough of that gag. But to be honest, the reason he decided to go with the goof is that the Korean film just doesn't leave that much of an impact. Sure, the creature was well done and original. The interactions between the family members were witty and entertaining, and he did enjoy watching the movie, but just never really reached that threshold of must-show-people, and he's just not sure why. Perhaps if he spent his life studying the art of what gets certain movies to resonate with someone emotionally, Brian could someday figure it out. But because he can't really do that, he'll just say that the only reason he still owns the host is to increase the size of his giant monster movie collection, and he has little desire to watch it until the sequel comes out. Harold saw the host in the movie theater, and he wasn't quite sure what to expect. Well, the phrase that best describes this movie is totally unexpected. So many times in this movie, something totally unexpected would happen, which means something incredibly funny happened, or something incredibly serious just did. The best example of this, and the part of the movie Harold will never forget, is the scene with the family in the rain near the river's edge as they attempt to kill the creature. Dad asks, anyone got any bullets? I've got one left, his son replies. This is all very dramatic stuff, and the shot, the scene is shot very well. The creature arrives, Dad turns around, and click. Totally unexpected. As Harold's brain is comprehending this, they cut to the son counting how many bullets he really shot, and it is freaking hilarious. The look on Dad's face, deflated, and he just casually waves them away as classic. 
the great belly laugh, and then wham, dad gets clobbered. Totally unexpected. Harold figured dad would get attacked, but just not that brutally. And mid-laugh, his brain is thinking, um, should I be laughing right now? Uh, maybe he just took a good hit, but he's still alive. And then, nope, dad gets absolutely pancaked on the hard concrete. Totally unexpected. Two seconds ago, Harold was having a good laugh, but now he just does not want to see what happened to dad over the horizon. Luckily, it was tastefully done. In a span of 15 seconds, this movie went from incredibly funny to incredibly serious. The movie was filled with this kind of back and forth. So in that regard, it's a quirky movie that may not be down everyone's alley. Harold appreciated the creature effects, considering the budget, and thought overall the movie was very well done. It's just that bouncing back and forth from funny to serious was jarring, and it took getting used to. Robert would like to start off his review of this film by addressing the issue of the host being either a monster on the loose or a kaiju. While it doesn't have destruction on a massive scale, the same effect of widespread fear is achieved by the monster supposedly carrying a virus. If a monster doesn't sell, doesn't, that almost works that saying that way. If a monster doesn't set the country into a panic, it's just a monster and not a kaiju. This giant fish mutant is definitely a kaiju. In many of the Korean films that he's seen, Robert has noticed a fierce nationalistic and cultural pride. In The Host, this takes the form of paranoia from the U.S. interference. This is set up right at the beginning, and the political undercurrent to the plot of this film is what makes it a notch above other monster movies. Another element that elevates this film is the way the characters are developed. The audience actually cares for them, and we are moved when they're hurt or killed. The Host is an innovative evolution of the kaiju genre, and Robert cannot wait for the sequel. Okay, so Ern's actually going to help me illustrate a point. Ern says that he saw The Host a year or two ago. He didn't like it. He didn't bother re-watching it. Cool creature, but that's it. So this is something I actually have been meaning to mention, but I keep forgetting about it. Part of the reason that you're that we do this as a, as a review isn't so you, and I'm not, pointing out earn but like this is just sort of a general thing you're supposed to actually watch the movie before you write your review so even if you've already seen the movie a million times you still get to enjoy it and if you've only seen it maybe once or twice like i only saw this movie once before we sat down and recorded for it and then you know we watched it and i was able to see it again and be like oh you know i was able to like sort of look at things that's sort of why the homework is to watch the movie and then write the review so for all of those of you who are like, I've seen Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, I don't need to watch it again. I disagree, and I think you should do it, because uh, obviously we'll be talking about that in a little bit. Robin thought going into this movie that it would be a lot darker and horror-oriented than it turned out to be. Okay, so it was dark and horror-oriented, just not as much as expected. It also packed some humor and drama as well, for good measure. He had heard good things about it, and because of the good reviews, he even got his girlfriend to watch it, which doesn't happen very often with these films. They both enjoyed the movie, although neither expected the weird stabs at humor cutting in from out of nowhere, like the funeral scene. It was great to get to see the entire monster at such an early stage of the movie, for such a long time, and in broad daylight. Take notes, Pacific Rim. It looked menacing, but with a slight puppy dog-esque quality uh, to it that at times made it almost endearing. Robin's heroes were an interesting group to follow in their endeavors. The search for Hyun Sao gave the movie a good reason to have a bunch of average Joes running around the monster's lair instead of evacuating the city. 
As much as he hoped the family and the two boys would survive, the movie did a good job in killing off characters that we care about, making their deaths a little more meaningful than if some random extra got trampled. Both Robin and his girlfriend found the American scientist ordering his Korean subordinate to dump a busload of formaldehyde to be a rather cartoonish and blunt way of telling the monster's origin. They were surprised to find out that the scene was actually based on something that really happened. Truth is stupider than fiction. Danny was first inspired to seek out the host after the kaiju cast gave it a recommendation in a very early episode. He finally bought the excellent Blu-ray last year and got a chance to enjoy this peculiar yet truly brilliant monster film. Although he tends to group the host alongside Japanese kaiju films, it's really more analogous to the film like Cloverfield than a traditional kaiju film, or even to its Korean monster predecessor, Yongari, and its remake, Reptilian. Somewhere between Yongari and the host, it seems Korea perfected the formula, and the result is one of the most unique and truly well-done monster films of the modern age. The brainchild of director-slash-screenwriter Bong Joon-ho, the film updates the classic Monster on the Loose story with a modern tale that is as much family drama as it is a creature feature. The members of the dysfunctional Park family are all endearing and well-acted, and we come to care for each one during the course of the film. As with the best monster films, the creature itself is a character, and in this case, a terrifying but undeniably awesome one. We get a very realistic and grounded pollution-based origin for the monster, but we never truly discover its motivations. Its horrific actions go largely unexplained, and this ambiguity, like that present in the original Godzilla film, makes it more frightening on a deep level. Is it just an animal acting on instinct, or is it a cunning and intelligent aggressor bent on causing horror and pain? Whatever its motivations, its actions are often overshadowed by many of the human characters, proving once again that the most horrifying of monsters are often people. In fact, most of the scenes with the human scientists torturing poor Gangdu and uh, refusing to listen to him are more horrifying than the monster scenes. The subplot of the supposed virus, the quarantine, and the cover-up of the government's false assumption that the monster is the carrier of a deadly contagion is an excellent example of the gritty, realistic, and often scary sense of the realism that permeates the entire film. Unlike the often fantastic elements of the kaiju ega, this film aims for a grounded, real-world approach that feels as though it could easily take place in the real world. It is this realistic tone that makes the film so unique and often very painful, particularly when characters are lost. The loss of Hyun Sao is heartbreaking and seems almost anticlimactic at first glance. However, the revelation that she helped the little boy survive, sacrificing herself for another, allows her to die a hero. A mature and very realistic, albeit dark, conclusion. The finale and death of the monster is also memorable, with each family member delivering a blow before Gangdu finally kills the beast, and with the hauntingly beautiful classical soundtrack playing in the background. In the end, the host stands as a triumph of not just the monster genre, but of filmmaking in general, with amazing directing, acting, special effects, and a powerful story. The host has truly earned its place in the kaiju landscape. Here's hoping the ever-delayed sequel carries on the excellence of its predecessor. And that is going to do it for our Daikaiju discussion this month. Thank you to everybody, seriously, who sent in their homework. Uh, I was very impressed with how many people did this. And hey, next month's Daikaiju discussion movie, the classic Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. 
from 1974. I don't know if we're going to watch the dub or the subtitled version yet, but I'm interested to see the subtitled version because I don't think I've ever seen it. I know I've got the uh, Sony disc, but anyway, that's what we're going to be watching, the Sony disc. Make sure you have your thoughts, questions, and reviews sent in before September 22nd. We are going to move along, and I need a little talk break. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to play the Japanese trailer for that Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla movie, and then we'll come back with the news. Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. Now we do have some cool news to talk about. Uh, more 50th anniversary Subaraya events have taken place. Two, in fact, since our last news explosion. Uh, on August 16th, both Yuriko Hishimi and Koji Monsugu, uh, who played Anne, and Dan, respectively, in Ultra 7, appeared alongside a cast of Ultra Monsters. It was a really cool Ultra 7 event. It looks really cool, at least. And that was part of Ultraman Festival 2013. And that was on August 16th. You know, I'm going to be in Japan. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later. going to be in Japan at the end of October. 
And it would be super awesome if there were some cool Ultraman uh, Subaraya events happening. It'd be even cooler if there was a killer Ultra Q event. But, you know, I don't have any control over that. Speaking of Ultra events, there was an Ultra 7 exhibition in Tokyo. Once again, something that started earlier. This was from July 24th through August 5th. And uh, I guess it's no longer happening, but it looked really cool. They had suits on display. This is really cool. Uh, 50th anniversary for Subaraya. So big congratulations to them. Another super awesome event that happened in Japan. This one I'm especially jealous of. Director and screenwriter Kazuki Omori and special effects director for the Heisei Godzilla series, Koichi Kawakita. They both taught a tokusatsu class, I guess, at the Osaka University of Arts, where they actually built a miniature set and had a monster, and they taught these students how to film tokusatsu. And I I saw the news come across when I when it was posted on Sci-Fi Japan, and I kind of lost my mind a little bit. I was like, why is it happening now? That's a class I would absolutely take. Even if I just sat there dumbfounded because I don't speak Japanese, that would be amazing. Anyway, all three of those articles have links in the show notes to Sci-Fi Japan for that. Uh, speaking of Ultraman, uh, I think last month or earlier this month, I posted something on the Tumblr page that was like Ultraman comic book stuff. One of the responses I got was, why haven't we had uh, Ultraman comics? And I don't know the answer to that. I mean, we've had Ultraman Tiga comics here in the States, but uh, as far as Ultraman in Japan, there's relatively no manga as far as I know. Apparently, that is changing because there is a new manga series and there's a motion comic that was posted on YouTube, and I'll have the link in the show notes to that as well. I watched it, and I was like, that makes me want to read it, and I don't read manga. So, uh, very cool and very awesome, and uh, you should check it out. Speaking of books, there's a new book on the market, where it's not available yet. It'll be available, uh, I believe, in August of next year. But it just hit the pre-order status on Amazon, so get out there and pre-order it if you want it. It is called Godzilla, The Art of Destruction. And uh, I'll just read you the description here. Published to coincide with the release of Warner Brothers and Legendary's Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards, this visually stunning book will delve into the making of the movie and showcase its incredible production art. Presenting an extraordinary new vision for the beloved character through a dynamic selection of concept illustrations, sketches, storyboards, and other pre-production materials, Godzilla The Art of Destruction will be the definitive book on one of the most anticipated films of 2014. Also featuring interviews with director and key crew and cast members, the book will tell the complete story of the making of Godzilla from concept to final frames. Comprehensive and enthralling, Godzilla, The Art of Destruction is a book that no fan will want to be without. Obviously, I will link to that so you guys can purchase it or peruse it at your own time. And we're not done with Sci-Fi Japan just yet. They also have high-res images of the new SH Monster Arts Batra adult figure. I personally will not be buying that, even though I'm a big Batra fan. I think the Bandai figure that I already have is a pretty darn good representation of him. So I'm I'm also trying to wean myself off of, of buying new toys. Uh, I guess that's not coming out till like January or something. But anyway, some things that are available right now. Godzilla Rulers of Earth Issue 3 just came out. So make sure to get out there and buy that. Support Godzilla Rulers of Earth. That's a comic book that needs the fan support. And I heartily endorse it. 
It's a fantastic book written by Chris Mowry, drawn by Matt Frank, and this issue has some pages from Jeff Zorno. Another thing that is out now and you should be buying, if you have not already done so, is the DVD from Shout Factory of Ultra Q. Uh, I started watching it the very first day I got it, and I have not had that much time to watch it, unfortunately. I'm about, I think I'm about halfway done, but I'm definitely at the point where I sort of gave up on the episodes when I was watching them with, with no subtitles, because these are, of course, subtitled. I'm at the point where I'm watching brand new things that I've never seen before. It's really just mind-blowing. So please get out there and support that. That's going to do it for our news. I do have some housekeeping things I wanted to talk about. Uh, if you are a member of the Kaiju Corps, I will have your voicemail number to call in for next month's Daikaiju discussion, which again is Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla from 1974. Uh, I am also just about to place the order for the patches, so that is like basically step one, the big barrier. Uh, once that happens, I'll start moving on to the other stuff. Remember, if you want to be a member of the Kaiju Corps, you can do that. It's very easy. There's a link at the top of the KaijuCast page. It says Kaiju Corps, and it breaks down every single option we have, which is, you know, cadet, corporal, captain, and colonel. So uh, check that out. It's just a way to help the KaijuCast uh, expand its own horizons, it, uh, and you get some cool, exclusive stuff. Nobody else is going to be getting these things except for Kaiju Core members. So please think about helping out. Speaking of helping out, please subscribe to the show if you have not already done so. You can subscribe through iTunes or through some other podcatcher, I'm sure. I'm not sure... Uh, a great option for for people that are on you know Android devices, but that's how I get my podcasts is through my iPhone. So make sure you subscribe to the KaijuCast. Those numbers, I know I've said this a bunch of times, but those numbers really do help. We can tell people. I literally was asked how many subscribers I had when I was at San Diego Comic Con, so that's very important <laughs> to me as a, as a podcaster. If you're on iTunes, please do feel free to leave an iTunes review. I really appreciate the people that left reviews as of late. Some of them are really, really awesome, and I, I have read them all. Hey, you know what? If for some reason you don't have iTunes or don't have Zune, I don't know even know if that's a thing anymore, but if you don't have a way to subscribe to the podcast on your own mobile device, you can use Stitcher. Stitcher is an app that you can download to your device, and then it actually will subscribe you to whatever podcast you want. Plus, you could search for things. It's a pretty cool system they have. And if you don't like Stitcher, if you're like one of those guys that's like, yeah, yeah, Stitcher, yeah, uh, you can listen to us on the Mediocre Radio Network, which is awesome. The guys from the Mediocre Show, specifically the Mike Pilot uh, and uh, his crew of loyal listeners who are tech-savvy, they helped him out uh, launch and build this awesome, mediocre radio network. And the KaijuCast is very, very happy and very proud to be part of that. So listen to us either on your own or through Stitcher or through the Mediocre Radio Network. Once again, if you are interested in submitting your thoughts, questions, and reviews, a.k.a. your homework for Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, please make sure to get that in before September 22nd. If you do that, I can make sure to get everything in and uh, and have your your thoughts on the movie like put into that episode. It's a very popular movie, so I'd actually uh, I would suggest to not be so verbose. Like keep a keep it kind of short, brief, and to the point. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that have to the, to say the exact same things. Uh, hopefully, I won't have to edit too many people's stuff down. But I can't make any promises, if you know what I mean. Last item on the housekeeping list: I am going to Japan at the end of October. If you are a listener in Japan. I want to talk to you. 
Yeah, especially if you're in Tokyo or Osaka. Those are the two cities that I will be visiting. I'm going to be there not just for a day. I'm going to be there for like almost two weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's also going to be kind of hectic. I got a lot of things to do. Got a lot of people to try and talk to. This is basically a vacation for myself and my girlfriend, but we are also going to try and temper that with some awesome Kaiju Cast stuff. So like I said, if you listen to the Kaiju Cast and you live in the Tokyo or Osaka area, definitely want to talk to you. And you know what? If you speak Japanese and you might be a good interpreter, I really, really, really want to talk to you. So make sure you just send me an email through the contact form and let me know what's going on uh, in your area. If there's something going on at the end of October that you think I would like to know about, please let me know that as well. That would be cool. I would love to do like a listener party kind of thing in Japan. I just don't know how many people actually listen. I believe it is time to wrap things up here. So if you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, make sure you point your web browser to kaijucast.com because not only can you listen to every single episode we've done on the KaijuCast website, we also have the episode list, the Daikaiju discussion list, articles we've written, links in the show notes, like I was saying. We also have links to our friends' websites, links to all of our social media portals, I guess you could say, which would include Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. There's a link up there for that now. YouTube, because we do YouTube videos every once in a while. Uh, also, there's links to Stitcher and to the Mediocre Radio Network. It's basically, if, if you have anything KaijuCast related you want to know, go to kaijucast.com. We also do commentaries. Yeah, commentaries. Got one of those coming up soon. In fact, hopefully I'll get that done before we go to Japan. That would be pretty awesome. But yeah, feel free to subscribe to that as well because that's uh, that's something that's a lot of fun. We are going to close the show out with a little track from Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. This is called Get Mechagodzilla. Please join us next month for our interview that we've been sitting on for ages with author Steve Rifle. Jamata.